Amen. All right, do me a favor. Grab a pen, notepad, whatever you got. I love people coming in with journals and notebooks to write in. Um, with where I'm going today, as well as even next week, dealing with the book of Acts. I mean, it's, it's a lot of kind of explanation and uh, understanding of, of Scripture and how we got to where we got, okay? So uh, today we're going to look at the four Gospels. And the revelation of Jesus Christ was and still is the turning point of human history. When you look back some 2,000 years ago, to where the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory, glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, the revelation of Jesus Christ and the incarnation of Jesus Christ was and still is the turning point of all human history. So when we contemplate the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we start to dive in to the narrative of Jesus Christ, he is King of kings, he is Lord of lords, he is creator of all things. In him, all things were created, Colossians 1 says. Hebrews 1 says he is the exact radiant image of the invisible God. We're looking at the revelation of Jesus Christ, the revelation of God. It's phenomenal. He uh, came as a humble servant. He came as the ultimate servant of all he disguised himself even when he came. Isaiah 53 says he has no stately form or anything majestic that we should be drawn to him. He showed us how to do life. He came to reveal heaven's heart. I want to make some observations for you. Now, all of my notes are online. You can go to the crossloganville.org and the five or six pages that I have, you can just access them if you want to do a deeper study. I would highly encourage you to do that. But here's what I would say. There is no gospel message without the cross. Everything, everything, we talk about living with eternity as the backdrop. The gospel is painted with the cross as the backdrop. If there is no cross, if there is no sacrifice, if there is no resurrection, then there is no good news. Gospel, we'll get there. If there is no obedience, then there'll be no serving and giving. God has called us to serve. God has called us to live generous lives. God has called us to give. Jesus's obedience motivates even our obedience today. There is no spiritual formation in your life without adversity and suffering. Don't miss it. You will not grow spiritually if you don't if you do not encounter adversity and suffering in your own life. Suffering is a gift from God. Suffering and adversity is almost the fertilizer that God uses to bring about deeper maturation and growth in our journey. Now, here's something I think very interesting. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John, at the very end of his gospel writing, makes this statement. John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miracles. But these have been recorded. And these have been written down. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. So that you may believe that Jesus is the, the Son of God. And that by believing you will have 
life in his name. Don't, don't, don't miss this. People say, why did God give us the Gospels in these four written forms of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? It has been given so that you will believe that Jesus is Messiah. It is given so that you will believe that he is Yeshua HaMashiach, the anointed one of God. Why is it given? It's given so that you will believe. The word believe in the Greek is the word P-I-S, T-I-S. It's the word pistis, which means to be persuaded to action. Belief is not just to acknowledge. Belief means I am persuaded to take action. Now, I've put together a, a, like a 20 uh, slide PDF, and I want to jog through that much like we did last week uh, with you when it comes to dealing with the gospel. The gospel. All right, what is the gospel? We talk about the four gospels. And so, what are the gospels? What, what, what does the gospel mean? And I want to I I teach today like you've been in the faith for two weeks or two months. And I want to go back to the very basics. When I played professional baseball, every year in spring training, we would go back to the very, very basics. As a pitcher, we used to do what is called PFP. PFP used to wear us down, but PFP was pitcher's fielding practice. And what we would do is we would go out and simulate a pitch. We would pretend like a ball was hit back to us, and we would have to throw to first, have to throw to second. We would have to fill bunts. We would have to back up bases. Everything that was required we went back to the basics and said, here's the basics of how to play the game. We're going to go to the basics here today. What is the gospel? The gospel literally means good news. Hey, brother, what's the good news? The good news is the gospel. What's the gospel? The gospel is good news. But in order for there to be good news, it implies there must be. So Tim, what's the gospel? The gospel is the story of the life of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. What, what is it? We're going to break down the timeline here in a bit. What is it? What is it? It's the story of Jesus Christ. What is it, Tim? It's theology. Theo deals with God. Ology, the study of it is the study of God in flesh. When God became flesh and dwelt among us, back to John 1, that's what we're looking at when we deal with the gospel. All right, so as you start to ponder the gospel, what is the timeline? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all shoot at the gospel, the good news, the person of Jesus, with different guns, if you will. But when you start to look at the timeline, they deal with the birth. Matthew deals with it in detail. Luke deals with it in detail. John really doesn't pay a lot of attention to it. Where Matthew will get to him deals with, deals with the genealogy going all the way back to Abraham and David. John says, in the beginning was the word. John predates all of them. John even writes with a pen that predates Genesis. But they all shoot at it from a different angle when it comes to the birth. Now, most capture the baptism. And when John baptizes Jesus in the Jordan River, and I'm so thankful I got baptized in the Jordan this past January when we were there. I'm like, man, I got to do it. I'm here at the Jordan. I've got, I've got to do this. As soon as John baptizes Jesus, God, 
And the voice from heaven says, this is my son. In him, I'm well pleased. Really, the next time you see that statement, Patrick, is where the guys are taken to the Mount of Transfiguration, and Elijah and Moses and all these guys show up, and Peter and the boys are tripping, going, man, this is so cool. We got Moses and the law, and we got Elijah that represents the prophets and Jesus, and man, we ought to just chill here for a while, and the voice from heaven says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The law has an expiration date, and the prophets, John the Baptist was the last Old Testament prophet. There's Jesus, none there's like him. So when you study the timeline, you see the birth, you see, you see this baptism, the dove landing, Jesus launching then his public ministry. And for three plus years, if you go back and study, a rabbi could not launch his public ministry until he was 30 years old. That was under the Jewish rabbinical system. So at the age of 30, he launches his public ministry, keeping with the law and the customs under the rabbinical system. You, you can break all this down, man. So much is recorded about the ministry of Jesus, his miracles, John 2, he turns water to wine. He gets this thing rolling. Jesus, why'd you do that one first? Because I wanted you to know I came to bring about radical transformation, and I came to take the natural and turn it into that which was almost supernatural. Look at me work. Plus, I like to party a little bit, I think, is part of the story. I didn't say get drunk, but I said party. But when you start to look at it, you see the miracles and teachings of Jesus. And then the next big event you see is the death of Christ, where he's led to Calvary. I mean, really, when you look at the timeline of the Gospels, they feature five things. The, the birth, the baptism, the public ministry of teaching and miracles. Then you get to his death and his crucifixion. And then the huge piece is he is not here. He is risen, resurrection. So all the Gospels pretty much start the good news books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke and John, they, they start somewhere around the birth, and they end with the resurrection. Now, you'll hear me say, and I think the book of Acts is the first book of the new covenant, because the new covenant does not begin until Jesus sheds its blood, and he says, this is the new covenant, my blood being poured out for you. So the first book, really, of the new covenant is the book of Acts, because that's where the new covenant is birthed with the Holy Spirit falling at Pentecost. We'll dive into that next week. And all believers were filled with the Holy Spirit, able to drink the new wine of the Spirit of God and represent him to the, the world in which they lived. But the new covenant doesn't start until he spills and sheds his blood. Now, when you, when you look at this, there was four things I... I had written down, and I think it's in your notes, and I want you to, to look at this, but when, when you start to look at the timeline with these five points, they scream that Jesus is divine. Je Jesus is divine. There's divinity. There's trinity. And it was interesting this week, uh, I was studying at home on Thursday, and I came upstairs for lunch, and when I came up, the front door was open, and I thought, oh, Who's at the front door? And I walk out, and it's Jesse with these two girls 
that had left their bikes at the corner, Mormon girls that had sister so-and-so uh, on their little badges. And I thought, oh, this ought to be interesting. So it'll be interesting. So I walk out, and Jesse's in the middle of having conversation with them. And I looked at the girls, and I said, have y'all ever studied the Trinity? And the one girl was honest enough. She goes, I never have. And I said, you know, it's a huge separator with the teachings of Joseph Smith and the vision he got supposedly from the angel Moroni and the pearl of great doctrine and many of the writings that he's put out there. He, he minimizes and divorces Trinity and divinity and deity you've never studied trinity and she goes no i said would you be open to doing that she goes i i I think i really would and i said it's hard for you to present what you're presenting to abolish trinity in the teachings of the latter-day saints when you've never studied trinity that wouldn't be fair to do would it and see when you study the gospels when you study the gospels The gospels scream that Jesus is divine. In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, Jehovah, God, Elohim, and the Logos was Elohim. But Mormons and JWs and others have their own translation, and they violate the integrity of the text there, and they reduce Jesus down. That he's not God. But when you study the Gospels, it screams, I'm Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, Son. I'm sending Spirit. It is to your advantage that I go away because if I go away, I'll send the Parakletos, the Helper. So when you start to study, it's like, man, Jesus is divine. Back to his birth, baptism, the miracles and teachings flood it, the betrayal trial his death, you got to study it to see what happened. And then the resurrection separates Christianity from all others. That's why Paul would say, if Jesus be not raised from the dead, our preaching is foolish. That's why we say, if Jesus claims that I am the door, we say that the, rev- the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the resurrection is the hinge on which the door of Christianity swings. There be no resurrection, and then how does the door swing? Now, I would encourage you to write this down and think about this. When you read the Gospels, when you read, not if, when. When you, when, when you, when you read the Gospels. Ask questions like, who is Jesus talking to or speaking with? Anytime you read a text, always read it within the context Who's he talking to? Is he talking to his disciples? Is he talking to someone that views themselves as an enemy? Is he talking to the crowd? Who's he he talking to or speaking with? It's always important to make sure you see who's he hanging out with. That's the reason people, listen, Matthew 22 is a problem text. Really it is, but we, we teach, you'll hear evangelicals teach this. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's like, cool. Okay, Matthew 22. Who was Jesus talking to? A lawyer. What was the lawyer's question to Jesus? 
The Sadducees and Pharisees had continued to try to trip him up, minimize and diminish who he was. Sadducees had already based their argument on there is no resurrection. So they look at Jesus saying, according to the law of Moses, what's the greatest command? According to the law of Moses, the greatest command is, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everything that the law of Moses and the prophets taught hinge on this. We've taken that and run with it like that's our great command. Listen to me. Is it? How many of us are trying to live according to the law of Moses to be found righteous in God's eyes? None. How many of us have come to faith in Christ as being the only, only atoning sacrifice that makes us right? Starting in verse 41 of Matthew 22, Jesus said, now let me ask y'all a question. Okay, what's your question? Regarding the Christ, whose son is he? They're like, he's David's son. Then why did David call him Lord? Always look at the text within the context. Don't assume. Who's he talking to? What's happening in this dialogue? Pick up the conversation within the whole. Then you've got to ask the question, uh, how does he react to different situations? Is he happy? Is he pleased? Is he joyful? Is he frustrated? What does he tell people to do? You want to take the scripture literal in every place? Can't do it. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. I'd be preaching to parents every week. <laughs> I would be up here with the inability to flip pages. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. I would be singing very superstitious up here every week. You guys would be looking at me going, you're like Stevie, brah. I'm like, yes. We would all be blind. We would all be. Who's he talking to? What's he saying? Is it to be taken literal? Here, here's a couple more. What does he say about himself? What does he say about the Father? Does he claim equality with God? What did Jesus say about himself? When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm like, that's a radical statement. Mary and Martha, why are you freaking? I am the resurrection and the life. What's he saying about himself? And then he throws it back on other people at times, Tom. He goes, well, who do you say that I am? Well, some say you're Elijah and others say you're John the Baptist risen from the dead. Who do you say? How does he respond? Read the Gospels. Engage with the Gospels. It's so powerful. Now, here, here, here. check it out. Matthew, back on the slide. Who was he? He was a disciple. He was selected by Jesus. He was a tax collector, which meant he probably had ripped off quite a few people in his days. The brother knew how to deal with money. And he probably liked money. He probably liked wealth. He probably liked having materialism. What do we know about him? He presents Jesus Christ as king of the Jews. When you read Matthew, he is a Jew writing to the Jews, presenting to the Jews that Jesus Christ is the king of the Jews. Jesus is Messiah. And Matthew focuses on royal lineage like nobody else. <laughs> Man, he's the king of the Jews, guys. Matthew's opening line, Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. 
the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. Y'all know who Israel's greatest king was? David. You know what bloodline Jesus came from? David. And then he goes on to say, he was the son of Abraham. Y'all know who Abraham was? He was the father of faith. He starts by saying, listen, Jews, Jesus is Messiah, which means he is the anointed one. Messiah, write it down. He is the anointed one of God that came through the right bloodline because the prophecy said he would, and he did. Now, I'm about to unpackage Jesus to the Jews. He emphasizes the teachings of Jesus in a beautiful way. I believe as he writes to the Jews, that's the reason it's so important to understand that after his baptism and after the temptation experience in Matthew 4, that when Jesus starts his teaching, Matthew, like no other gospel writer, captures the Beatitudes in 5, 6, and 7 because he starts by saying, you've heard it said according to the law, but Jesus stops and says, but I say to you. You've heard it said that you shall not, but I say to you. Blessed are those and blessed are those. And he breaks it down. Read it. Who's he writing to? He's writing to the Jews. Jesus fulfills with Matthew's pen. He goes, Jesus fulfills everything that the law and the prophets taught. Back to the Matthew 22 Y'all want to ask me questions? Y'all want to debate me over the resurrection? Well, this dude was married to this chick, and this dude dies. And, 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 and according to the law, her brother's supposed to marry her. Yeah, and then he dies, and then this other brother was, he marries her. And then in the resurrection, whose wife is she going to be? Well, y'all don't even believe in the resurrection. Y'all painting it up. Matthew captures all this. Hey, guys, y'all can't trip me up. He is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Matthew uses more Old Testament quotes, Benji, than any of the gospel writers. He quotes more out of Deuteronomy and out of these other places than any other one. Matthew leverages. I'm telling you right now, if you are ever ministering or, or trying to share with a person of Jewish faith. Matthew is the gospel I would use in being able to share with them. Let, let me say this. If you're ever sharing with a Jew, a person that's a student of Judaism, don't try to convert them. Jews, you're going to think I'm nuts. Jews don't need to be converted they need to be completed. Yes. Gentiles need to be converted. Jews need to be completed. And Matthew writes showing the fulfillment that in Christ, oh, you've got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way down to David. Paul would write in Romans 9, 10, and 11 that he has taken the Gentiles and grafted us into Israel. That's the reason a true Jew needs to be completed. Oh, you, you already got the right root system. You just ain't going to be able to have the right fruit system because you're not attached. But probably the two texts that get as much emphasis today amongst evangelicals 
as any is Matthew 22, what we would call the great command. And do I think it's noble to try to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and love my neighbors and myself? Yes. Is there any person in this room that loves God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and loves their neighbor as themselves 24-7? None of us do. Do all of us need the Holy Spirit and the redemptive work of Yeshua Jesus? Yes. To love God and to love others? Yes. And the other great text is Matthew 28, where I want you to go into all the world. The great commandment leads to the great commission. I want you to go make disciples of all nations. So Matthew centers up on some really cool stuff. And this, this whole presentation slide, little piece right here, PDF, it's available to you. I want you to get it, okay? Then we're introduced to a dude by the name of Mark. And Mark targeted the Gentiles as his audience. Gentile, non-Jews, Gentiles, meaning they didn't have the pedigree or the lineage. And Mark was pretty serious about targeting the Romans. Mark was not a disciple. He was not one of the original 12. Where did Mark get all his information? Mark gets most of his information from hanging out with Peter. Upon this rock, I'll build my church, Pete. Your statement that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. A little later on, Mark hooks up with Peter, starts hanging out with Peter a lot, and gets a lot of information. And God starts doing a work in old Mark's life. And I think the main verse, if you will, if you're going to use Mark, would be Mark 10, 45, where it says, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I think that would be... Like to me, as I've studied through Mark, that, that's as key as anything Mark said. And Mark said a lot of key things. Mark was a man of action. Nobody jacks us up and gets us fired up more than Mark. I mean, right out of the gate, right? Mark chapter 2, man, these four dudes, man, they got this bro with them. This, this dude, man, he'd been knocked down for years. He was a paralytic. These cats show up. They climb on the roof. They cut a hole in the roof. They let him down, man. I'm telling you, Jesus looked at him and said, man, your sins are forgiven. Mark, when you read him, Mark just, he, he, he pumps you up. He makes you want to bring people to Jesus. But Mark didn't always start out so well. Mark shows a lot of his power and a lot of the compassion of Christ. When you read it, you go, Mark, what do you emphasize? I'm, he emphasizes the power. Only Mark has this whole piece in there about picking up snakes in Mark 15 and 16, and some have taken that to extreme. But Mark's the only one that deals with this exceptional kind of sensational move of the Holy Spirit. He deals with it a little more crazy than the rest of them do. I love it. I love how action-oriented. But Mark experienced, let, 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 let me emphasize Mark to us because I think we can deal with Mark. Mark experienced a lot of failure in his life. When you study Mark, Mark, Mark didn't start off real well. Or even if he did, he didn't stay with it. Mark believed that the gospel was about comfort and not about suffering and pain. And, 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 and Mark kind of walked away from it for a while. Acts chapter 13, Paul and his companions landed at the port town of Perga. There, John Mark left them and went back home to Jerusalem. If you study where... 
Paul and Barnabas and all these cats, man, and they had this big type of tension over Mark. Mark is the one that God uses to write this gospel. Mark, why, why'd you leave? Ooh, it was tough. Man, they were getting beat. They were getting thrown in prison, man. These cats are talking about being martyrs. That was hard. I wanted to go back home. I needed to go see mama. Yes, it's hard. And Mark eventually got to the place where he crucified his comfort and picked up the torch. See, see Peter mentored him. And if anybody had experienced failure yet grace and failure and yet grace, it was Peter. And Peter goes, God's been good to me, man. I denied him at that charcoal fire and roosters are crowing. And, man, I know what it's like to fail. Come on, Mark. I'm, I'm not going to give up on you. Paul was like, man, I don't want to see him. And then later on, later on, when you read... When you read over in Colossians 4 and 2 Timothy 4, Paul says, hey, 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 I'm over here in prison. I'm writing these epistle letters right now. Hey, hey, tell old Mark to come see me. Mark repented. Mark got serious about the gospel. Even in 2 Timothy 4 where Paul says, bring me my cloak and my parchments. I'm about to die. He, he, he's like, hey, man, I'm thankful to have old Mark with me right now. So if you screwed it up, messed it up, jacked it up, and you failed, and the enemy is trying to disqualify you from being in the game, stop. There's enough grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ, man, to free you, to forgive you, to pull you back in, and to empower you. Don't, 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 don't mess it up. So the things I wrote down about Mark is... Uh, I mean, I love Mark. Mark is, uh, he emphasizes Jesus as suffering servant. He emphasizes Jesus' authority. He declares Jesus' ministry and life. And he's really a support read when it comes to reading Matthew and Luke. Luke was brilliant, man. Luke was a doctor. Luke hung out with Paul. Luke was not one of the original 12. We were in Caesarea Maritime at the prison where many believe Paul was incarcerated, where Luke hung out with him in January, right off the Mediterranean. We, we were there, and many believe it was in the, that area that as Luke hung and encouraged Paul as he was continually being put in chains for preaching the gospel, that Luke went throughout the village and said, hey, I want to ask you about uh, this Jesus dude, and I want to ask you what happened. And Luke started compiling with this eyewitness account. Even in Luke chapter 1, 1 through 4, he's like, uh, hey, Theophilus, Theophilus, after much research, after careful historical uh, understanding of everything, I want you to know I'm writing to you about Jesus. There's nobody in the scripture, Richard, that was more of an apologist, a true New Testament apologetic thinker than Luke. And man, Luke breaks it down in organized detail. Hey, Jesus is Savior of all. He emphasizes in clear detail. Read, read the Gospel of Luke. Luke really doesn't leave too many things uh, untouched when it comes to the life of Christ. I love Luke. He, uh, 
He uses this phrase right here, calling Jesus the Son of Man. He uses it 26 times. He's the Son of God, but he's the Son of Man. He's the Son of Man, meaning he's 100% human, yet without sin, without flaw, without error. Look at him. And Luke, man, captures him doing so many amazing miracles in detail. Make sense? I want you to get it. And then I would tell you, like dealing with a non-Jew, dealing with just Gentile, just a regular homeboy around Loganville, Georgia, man, I would go through the, the gospel of Luke in a heartbeat. I'd go through the gospel of Luke because he was, he was not one of the 12. Then you got John. Matthew and John were the apostles, if you will, of the original 12. They were the disciples of Jesus. They walked with Jesus, hung with Jesus. And John presents Jesus as deity. Where Luke and Mark, their audience is more the Gentile community, where Matthew is shooting at the, the Jewish mind. Guys, this is so important for me as I've studied it over the years. I want to know the Gospels. I want to know who's writing it, who are they writing it to, what are they saying, how are they saying it, what is the context. I, I want to know all this. John emphasizes these seven incredible I am statements that Jesus makes. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the resurrection and the life. I am, I am. I mean, he, he captures it. John is simple, but yet profound. If I'm dealing with JWs and Mormons, I'm going to John. Y'all have tried to dissect the deity and the Trinity. Let me tell you where I'm going. Now, that everything we just walked through, it will have everything on one slide. I want you to have that so that you can look at it and understand the timeline, what the Gospels are, who these four Gospel writers are. Now, go ahead and go to that bridge, if you don't mind, that little image. All right, over the years, over the years... We can talk about Matthew wrote this, Mark wrote this, Luke wrote this, John wrote this, who they were writing to. Listen, listen to this right here. So what, what, what is the gospel? People say, hey, man, are you willing to share the gospel with other people? Or people will say, have you embraced the gospel? What, what's the gospel? Here's the gospel in a nutshell. The navigators came up with this years ago. Campus Crusade uses their own thing. When I was doing baseball ministry, we had a little thing where we used the four base paths. I guarantee you YWAM has something they've used. Th this is as simple as anything. Tim, if you were sharing with a lost person the gospel, how would you share it? I would look and say, hey, man, do you believe, do you believe that you've been created by a God that made you in his image and genuinely loves you? According to who I'm with and where I'm at, there's a good chance I'm going to start somewhere close to that. I've been with people that do not believe in God, so I have to start even before, meaning before there can be an effect, there has to be a cause. What is the ultimate cause that brought all effects into motion? But anyway, for a person that has some type of concept that there is a God, I will start by saying, do you believe there's a God that made you and there's a God that loves you? Now, there's different ways. Now, in order for there to be good news, it implies there has to be bad news. What's the bad news? Now, the gospel in nine words for me is God created man, separated Jesus, reinstated Holy Spirit, infiltrated. That's the gospel for me in nine words, the whole scripture. 
God created you. Here's a problem. Go back to Genesis 3. Man willfully sinned. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short, short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 says there's none that's, that are righteous, not even one. Do you believe you're a sinner? Do you believe you're separated? Isaiah 53 says all of us like sheep have gone astray. We've turned our back on him. We've done our own thing. Are you a sinner? Yeah, 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 yeah. I was born with the Adamic sin nature. Yeah, I'm a sinner. Does sin have a penalty? Yeah. But the wages of sin, Romans 6, 23, is death. Yeah, because you sin, you'll pay a price one day. Hebrews 9, Jesus became sin once and for all. 2 Corinthians says that he made him who knew no sin to become sin. Why? Because sin had to be dealt with. You sin. I sin. We mess it up. And so when you start to draw it out, all you got to draw is like a little squiggly line seven down, and you just put, here's where mankind was. God made him because he loved him, but man sinned. And as a result of man sinning, man entered into death. The soul that sins will surely die. Then you draw the other side. God is holy. God is pure. Sin cannot stand in God's presence. There had to be someone to pave the way between sinful man and holy God. And you just look and you go, wow, Christ paid the penalty some 2,000 years ago. Romans 5, 8, what does it say? That God demonstrates his love toward us. Even though we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. You start to break it down. Can you share it? I started doing this right after I got saved. Why? Because it's what I believed and received. I believe that God made me. I believe that God loved what he had made. I believe what God made and loved. I had walked away from God. I believe God in his kindness continued to pursue after me. I believe that there was a gap between this holy God and me being sinner. I believe that Jesus came on the scene as the way, the truth, and the life to bridge the, the, the gap between sin and holiness. As many as received him, John 1, 12, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Many have used Revelation 3, 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open his door and open his heart, I'll come in and hang and dine with you. I promise you, you've got to embrace the gospel to share the gospel. The assurance of salvation, 1 John 5, these things I've written and shared with you so that you can know that you have eternal life and this life is with his son. He who has the son has life, and he who does not have the son does not have life. Come on. There's so many ways to share the gospel. This is bottom shelf for us today. I promise you it's PFP, baseball terminology. It's basic stuff. But I want every one of us to know it. Gospel's good news. It's the life story of Jesus. It's God in flesh. It's theology of what God looked like. There's a timeline between birth, incarnation, resurrection, in between baptism, ministries, death. What happened? You, gotta, you, you can know this because if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. I want you to know it. And here's who Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John are. And here, here's, here's what they were writing, but they were all writing the same thing with different 
angles at the same story. Yeah. Have you embraced the gospel? And if you have, who are you sharing it with? Who are you taking the gospel to? People that die alienated and separated, who die in this mankind death stage without coming to faith in Christ, spend eternity in hell. The love of Christ motivates me, but the reality of eternity separated from a loving God in hell compels me too. It does you, Mike, as we go out and about and share the gospel. What, what compels you, Tim? The love of Jesus. But with eternity being lived as the backdrop, where are you going? And who are you sharing Christ with? Who do you want to take with you? Who will you share Christ with this week? Embrace the gospel. Share the gospel.